There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. John chapter 17. What a great chapter John 17 is. How many of you would say the Lord's taught you something from John 17 this week? And I, I want to say this to you. He has much more to say to all of us. I think one of the dangers when you study a portion of Scripture is you come to the end of it and you think you've come to the end of it. But I want you to know when you've come to the end of it, you've just scratched the surface. In fact, that's the very time to go back and concentrate on it even more. I would, I would challenge you to do something. You've been reading John 17 each day, then we've been studying John 17 each evening, but I'd like to challenge you to do something over the next several days, maybe between now and the Lord's Day. Take John 17 and read it again every day. You may even vary the way you read it a little bit. For example, uh, read it out loud. I don't know about you, I get distracted. Any of you ever get distracted? And I found when I read the Bible out loud, it helps me concentrate because my eyes and my ears and my mouth and my mind, they're all working together. Uh, sometimes I listen to it. I did that today. I listened to John 17, listen to someone else read John 17. It helped me just to meditate and think through it. I like to read the Bible on my knees. And I'll tell you what happens to me. When I read the Bible on my knees, it turns the Bible into a conversation with the author. Instead of just reading it, I'm praying my way through the passage, turning it back to God, and just it's fascinating how the Holy Spirit opens it in prayer. So there are many ways to approach John 17, but I hope you'll live in it. John 17 opens the heart of Jesus to us, and oh, oh, how we need a fresh glimpse of the heart of Jesus Christ. And of course, we know John 17 is a great intercessory prayer. It's a prayer list. And if you want to know how to pray for others, you know, we get in ruts sometimes, even in our prayers, don't we? We're calling off names, but we don't know what the needs are. And we're praying for the same things, but we're saying the same words. You might take John 17 and just make it your prayer list for a few days for others. But however you use it, I am praying the Holy Spirit will continue to use it in your life. Let's back up tonight and read just a little, starting where we studied last night through the end of the chapter. Look at John 17, beginning in verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And we all ought to stop right there and say amen to that. Do you believe God's word is truth, yes or no? All right. Then if we believe the second part of the verse, we ought to pray the first part of the verse. If we believe the word is truth, then we ought to pray, Lord, use the truth to transform me into your image. I want to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's beautiful that this verse gives us both Christ's prayer and Christ's provision. See, he's the one that does the sanctifying. You can't sanctify yourself. The Lord has to set you apart. But watch, you've got to cooperate with him. The Lord's a gentleman. I like what the pastor said a moment ago. He's not going to make you sit down at his table. He's going to invite you to his table. Look, he's not going to kick the door of your heart down and come marching in. He's going to stand at the door and knock. And so the Lord says, the word is given to you, the spirit is given to you, the work of Christ is available to you, but you must let the Lord do that work in your life. And then look at verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. 
And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Pause and look at me just a moment. How many of you got to give the gospel or a witness in some way to someone today? Would you raise your hand, please? Good, I see some hands. That's great. Now, a host of us said we were going to do that between now and the Lord's Day. Just want to remind you of it tonight because remember the sanctified ones are something I noticed just looking at this passage again. Amazing how you keep seeing things. Did you ever notice how verse 20 ends? They're going to believe on Christ, watch this, through their word. He's talked about his word all along. But he says, I'm going to tell you how the world's going to believe. The world's going to believe when you speak up and lend your voice to what God is saying and tell somebody else the truth you've received. Isn't that powerful? So we have his word and they need our word. We have his testimonies and the lost need our testimony. Keep reading, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. I cannot think of a more tender way for Jesus to end his prayer than to say to the men he's about to leave, I am going to be in you. Watch this. He has been with them for three and a half years. He's just told them he's leaving. Their hearts are broken. Their world is shaking. Their future seems uncertain. And the Lord leaves them with this glorious truth. Oh, thank God. There is something better than Jesus being with you for a time, and that is Jesus being in you for eternity. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Fascinating to me to see how this beautiful prayer ends. We see the divine priorities throughout it, but especially at the end, the last inspired words of the prayer of our Lord Jesus to the Heavenly Father. What was on his heart? What was, what was his greatest longing for those original disciples? And what is his heart for every one of us? It is revealed in one word. And the one word is the word one. In fact, did you notice the repetition of the word one? Go back, go back up to verse 11 just a moment because this is actually the first time you see it. In verse 11 at the end of the verse, he prayed that they may be one as we are. And then when you come to verse 21, he begins a list of ones. Look, mark them in your Bible. You have it in verse 11, then verse 21, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Verse 22, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. If my, my math is wrong, forgive me, but I think that's at least six ones. At least six times the Lord Jesus prays this one prayer, 
And that is for true oneness. See, there is a oneness that is not true oneness. For example, sometimes uh, people compromise the truth uh, just to get along. May I say to you, that's not the oneness Jesus the oneness he's talking about is not some simple uh, let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, my Lord, and feel good about it. That's not what we're talking about. This is not a oneness built on emotion. This is a oneness built on truth. Everybody remember our study last night? God's transforming truth. Well, watch. The truth always leads you to this beautiful spiritual oneness. This is, if I may say it this way, divine math. See, God's ways are higher than our ways and His his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He, he orders things differently than we do. That's like when a, when a man and woman come and stand at an altar and they get married. I remember my wife and I have been married almost a quarter of a century. We got married on Friday the 13th. It was the luckiest Friday the 13th of my life. And I, I still, I can see her. I can see her standing at the front. I can see her when the doors open. And that beautiful blonde girl in that beautiful white dress started walking down the aisle. And we stood at the marriage altar and she said, I do, and I said, I do, and, and we did. And you know what happened? We became one. Watch this. One plus one equals one. Somebody said, that's not, that's not good math, preacher. No, that's divine truth. The Lord has an amazing way of taking two people and making them one flesh. Watch, please. And in the spiritual relationship that we have with Christ, when you came to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, on that day you became one with the Lord Jesus Christ. On that day, he who identified with you at Calvary, you identified with, and on that day, glory be, the righteous record of Jesus was put on your account. He took all of your sin and you took all of his righteousness. Let's all just stop and say, praise God for that. Do you know what that is? That is to be one with Christ. That's the way God sees you now. But watch, though that happened in an instant, I mean in a moment of time, you became one with Jesus Christ, oneness with God's purpose and oneness with God's plan and oneness with God's people. Now that takes a lifetime. In fact, that doesn't happen instantaneously. Sometimes people have the idea that once they get saved, some lightning bolt from heaven is just going to strike them in the head and boom, they're going to be Mr. Spiritual, Miss Spiritual and, and they're going to be everything they ought to be. If you've been saved any length of time, you know salvation is instantaneous and complete but the work of sanctification is still going on. And so what is the Lord doing? He's working to help us to become what? One. And not just one, but one with true oneness. In recent days, my heart has been broken as I have seen how the devil divides families. He divides them. Nothing delights Satan anymore, I think, than disrupting the home because it's the basic unit of a civilized society. So you've got the basic fabric of our civilization crumbling at this moment. And if you think he likes that, you ought to see his glee when he divides a church. See, the devil is a great divider. He started that way back in the Garden of Eden when he started talking to Eve when Adam wasn't around. And ultimately, he was trying to divide Adam and Eve from the Creator God. You see, the devil is a divider. Sin disrupts and sin divides. That's what it does. Our God is a God of perfect oneness. Let me prove it to you. Everybody hold your place right here in John 17 and turn over a few pages to the book of Ephesians with me for a moment. 
We may even go back to Ephesians later tonight, but look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is, I think, one of the great summary passages of this true oneness that comes to us in God. And if you're in just a second, would you please? Look at Ephesians 4 verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. May I tell you, that's a mouthful right there. And it's not just a mouthful, it is a life full of application. May I just say this, if there is peace in a marriage, if there is peace in a family, if there is peace in a church, if there is peace among the Lord's people, it won't be on accident, it will be on purpose. You have to work at it. And here's the theological foundation for it. Look at verse 4. Every time I stop, you say the next word. Ready? There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. What's the next word? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. Look at that. One body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father of all. You almost get the idea the Lord likes the number one, don't you? There is, a, there is a beautiful oneness when God has his way. It's amazing to me, but when flesh gets into something, when the devil gets into something, and for the record, it doesn't take much room for a snake to slither into your garden. And that's what Satan is. He's that old serpent, the devil. He's looking for a little crack in the door of your life or your family or your church. Just a little place. You give him a toehold, you have a foothold, soon you have a stronghold. And you let the devil and the flesh have their way, and I'll tell you what it will bring. It will always bring division and brokenness and chaos and confusion. But you let the wonderful Lord of glory have his way, and he always brings true oneness. In fact, may I tell you, this is where it's all going to end someday. Somebody said, wonder how all this is going to end. I can answer that for you. At the nail-pierced feet of Jesus. Turn over to Revelation just for a second. Go to the end of your Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 7. You want to see how it ends? God tells us how it ends. Look at verse number 9 of Revelation 7. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne. Now to you, in verse 9, you've got diversity, and in verse 10, you've got unity. Look real careful at verse number 9. All nations, all kindreds, all people, and all tongues are going to be represented there. Let me just tell you, God is not prejudiced. In fact, the most equal thing on earth is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it says we're all sinners, we all need a Savior, and everybody gets saved the same way. And when you get saved, you get the same Christ that comes lives inside of you. Nobody in this room that knows the Lord is any more a Christian than someone else. You may be a more obedient Christian, but you are just as much a child of God as any other person who's come to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be an amazing diversity around the throne. In fact, I think some of God's children are going to be really shocked when they get there someday. And they look around, and everybody doesn't look exactly like them and sound exactly like them. You know what this is? This reveals the heart of God for all people. What a great God we serve. But notice what unites them. In verse number 10, the diversity becomes unity. And it says they cried with a loud what? 
voice. Wait a minute. There are many tongues and many people and many backgrounds and nations, but they're all speaking with one voice. Why? Because in the end, only one thing matters, and it's not all of us. It is the one seated on that throne. This is true oneness, and it is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. So go back with me to John 17. Let's walk through our verses tonight. Let me show you this true oneness that we have with the Lord. You see, here's what I'm learning. I am learning that God's people are always in danger of being scattered. Always. Do you remember when Jesus prayed this prayer? John 17 was prayed on the night of our Lord's betrayal and arrest. Is that right? Yes or no? All right, so wait a minute. He has already said that when he gets taken, they're all going to be scattered. Remember, when the shepherd's taken, all the sheep are going to be scattered. He knows what's getting ready to happen. What he's praying for is that on the other side, they'll all come back around. And by the way, I love this. Jesus knows how to get his prayers answered. Because guess what happened? Those 11 cowardly men that scattered in 11 different directions, and Peter who followed afar off and cursed and swore and said he didn't even know the man, and John who stood at the foot of the cross and barely said a word, all of them are going to come full circle back to the Lord. And in the end, they're going to be one voice in the book of Acts standing and preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what it is? It's true oneness. This comes, what comes with it? Let me show you. Number one, I want you to write down that this oneness always brings unity. Look at verse 21 again. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. In another place, he said, I and the Father are one. So let me just ask you, class, were the Father and the Lord Jesus in perfect unity? Yes or no? Absolutely. Jesus came to do the will of the Heavenly Father, and they were in perfect unity. Look what he prays. Put your eyes on the verse. He just prayed that we would be in the same unity they were in. That's pretty strong stuff right there. In eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit lived in unbroken, perfect union and communion. Nothing ever came between them. And the Lord Jesus just prayed that all of his followers would have that same oneness with him and with one another. You see, there's something truly wonderful about being a member of the family of God. Sometimes, sometimes people get out of sorts with family. How many of you ever got out of sorts with family in your life? You know the funny thing about family? If it's family, you get over it. Now you can trade friends and go get your new friends, but you don't trade family. Family's forever. And I'm going to tell you what God's children need to be reminded of right now in this world because there's a whole lot of distraction going on in our world right now. And it is, listen to me, it is a ploy of the enemy to take our eye off the real battle. I want to say what God's children need tonight is to remember who our father is, what family we're part of. We're all getting ready to go to the family reunion at the father's house really soon. And it might be good if there was some unity among God's people. It's the principle of the Trinity, the great three in one. Three unique, distinct persons, and yet unbroken union and communion. I'm looking across this audience right now, and this audience is made up of lots of different people, some more different than others. We're all unique, right? Matter of fact, look around just a second. Look at the person around you. Would you look at them? Look at the person seated next to you. Well, maybe don't do that. Look around you just a minute. Behind you, in front of you, see all these people? Are they different from you, yes or no? Yes. All right, so the question is this. What do we have in common? I'd like to answer it tonight. We have Jesus in common. 
Somebody said, I don't know, preacher. How do you get a church to agree? You ready for it? You ready? You don't. There's no way on God's earth that all of us are ever going to agree on everything. But I'm going to tell you what we better agree on. We better agree on who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And the only way to let God be God and have peace among the Lord's people is the Lord has to have his way and we all say amen to that. We get in agreement with the Holy Spirit of God and we find the true oneness. Psalm 133, just turn there for a second. Look at it, put your eyes on it. Psalm 133 is one of the great psalms of this unity. By the way, unity does not mean uniformity. doesn't mean everybody looks the same and always acts the same, talks the same, thinks the same. We're not robots. God didn't make you a robot. But here's what unity looks like. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Is there an exclamation point in your Bible? I'm just curious. Mine too. Almost sounds like it's what the Lord got excited about. The Holy Spirit said to the writer here, David, Psalm 133, David, put an exclamation point in there. Can I tell you what thrills the heart of the Heavenly Father? It sure thrills the heart of the Heavenly Father. His children all act like they love the Father and they all act. Can I speak as a dad for just a moment? I sure like it when our three get along. And nothing irks me and annoys me anymore than when they're fussing and feuding over something that just doesn't matter. How many parents know what I'm talking about? wonder if our Heavenly Father ever thinks that about us. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's happened to Christian people. I'm talking about all over the country, everywhere I travel. We've taken our eye off the ball. There's a world going to hell right now. They're sinners perishing. Our country's coming apart at the seams. And people are fussing and fighting and feuding among themselves about a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. We're going to be terribly shamed when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need a revival of true oneness among the people of God. Thomas Brooks, one of the great Puritans, said this. I thought it was so good I wrote it in my Bible. He said this. He said, discord and division become no Christian." Then he said, for wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder, but for one lamb to worry another, that is unnatural and monstrous. Let me just tell you, there's enough wolves for us to keep watch over. We ought not have to worry about the lambs. Somebody else said that most churches are more like goat pens and sheepfolds because everybody's always butting heads all the time. May I say to you, brethren, these things ought not so to be. What did the Lord Jesus say would mark his children? He said, by this, by this shall all men know you're my disciples when you have love one for another. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say by your beautiful buildings, and you've got a beautiful building, but that's not the characteristic of the church that Jesus is building. He didn't say by your clever sermons or beautiful choirs or wonderful music. He didn't say by any of that. He said the one thing that's going to set you apart in a world filled with hatred and harshness and hardness is that the love of God has taken a hold of you. I'll tell you, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, people say they want revival, but they don't want the prerequisites to revival and the preparation for revival. You read Acts again very carefully. When the day of Pentecost was fully come and the Holy Spirit had liberty to do what he wanted to do, three times in Acts 1 and Acts 2, it says they were all in one accord. It's one thing to be in one place, and it's quite another thing to be in one accord. You can be in the same room and not be on the same page. 
You can be in the same meeting and not be on the same frequency. And I'm going to tell you what God's people got to do. We got to lay aside all of our ideas, all of our agendas, all of our wants. And we got to say to the Lord of glory, Lord, all we want is whatever you want. And whatever you want, we believe will be right because that's how you have true oneness. Somebody say, well, how do you get that kind of unity among the people of God? It's real simple. Keep reading. Go back to John 17. I'll show you. In verse 21, he prays for it. But in verse 22, he says, and the glory. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. Watch this, please. The only thing that brings true oneness and unity among the Lord's people is a fresh glimpse of the glory of God. Now, I'm going to tell you why that is. You ready? Because when God gets big, everybody gets little. I said everybody. When God is great and high and exalted, suddenly the little stuff we're dealing with seems pretty small and insignificant. It's an amazing thing. You get in the presence of the thrice holy God and you get a fresh glimpse of the cross and the tomb thrown and suddenly... I don't think I need to say that word. Suddenly, I I don't think that really was that important after all. Do you know why? Because the glory of God blinds us from the things that do not matter and helps us to see the only one that really does, and that is our great God. You want true oneness? There must be unity. The second thing it brings, would you write it down here? This true oneness not only brings unity, it brings maturity. Heaven knows we could use some of that right now. Look at verse 23. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made, what's that next word? Perfect in one. There's only one perfect one, that's the Lord Jesus. He's not referring here to us becoming sinless. Someday we will. Anybody else looking forward to that day? We lay these old bodies down, don't have the tempter, he'll be shut up forever. That's going to be a good day, you know it. But until that day, until that day, remember we got to live in the now. So this word perfect here is not sinlessness. There's a wholeness, a completeness. There is a beautiful mark of maturity. Watch this. For babies to whine, that is natural. For little children to fight and squabble over a toy, that is natural. But for mature people to do that, that is unnatural. And it is not only unnatural for a child of God, it is unspiritual. I wonder sometimes if we could see ourselves like God sees us from heaven's perspective. If some of us have rattles in our hands and, you know, bibs on and drool coming down and the Heavenly Father must be saying, I hope at some point they finally grow up. I hope they lay aside this childishness and desire what I desire for them. Let's go back to Ephesians. I told you we'd go back. Run back over to Ephesians with me for just a moment. Let me show you something. Ephesians chapter 4 is an amazing chapter. We read a portion of it, the beginning portion, but come down in Ephesians chapter 4 with me for just a moment, and let's read just a little starting in verse 12. Here's why God works in a church and, and gives gifts to a church. Look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. There it is. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's the measuring stick? Measuring stick is not me. 
The measuring stick is not you. The measuring stick is not another believer. The measuring stick, wait for it, is Jesus. How do I measure up to the Lord, to the beloved Son, to the perfect Son? I must tell you, I'm a long ways from there. That means I've got some maturing to do. Keep reading. Look at verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. What's he saying? We need each other and we all need Jesus. We need each other. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is coming very soon, friends. This is not the time to get out of church. This is the time to get as close to the church as you can. And this is not the time to drift from the Lord. This is the time to draw nigh to God and let God draw nigh to you. We need to mature in our own true oneness. Go back to John 17. It's always built on unity, the unity that Christ alone brings, and it's always built on maturity. And did you notice what he repeated? Everybody look at verse number 23. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know. Remember, everybody remember the end of verse 21? That the world may believe. Now he repeats it. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. May I tell you, nothing will bring people to Jesus like mature believers living out the love of Christ. When unbelievers look at a church or look at individual Christians, you know what they ought to do? They ought to say, those people have something I need. And they ought to be attracted to the Christ living inside of us. And sadly enough, the great tragedy in modern American Christianity is that most of our Christianity is about an inch deep. It's surface and superficial. It's sentimental, but it is not spiritual. It's enough to get us through church on Sunday, but it's not made a difference in the way we live our life. And it is time for God's children to say, enough of this average, mediocre, nominal, run-of-the-mill kind of Christianity. I want to be the follower of Jesus that Christ prayed that I would become. This is the true oneness that Jesus brings. There's a third one. If you want true oneness, it brings unity, it brings maturity, and then number three, it brings glory. Isn't it interesting how we've come full circle back to where we started our study at the beginning of John 17? Look at verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Let me stop right there and say, Jesus is going to get that prayer answered. Very shortly, all of his children are going to be with him where he is right now in heaven. I'm excited about that. Pause just a second. Did you ever notice that he spoke in the present tense? He's standing in front of the disciples praying, but he says, be with me where I am. He was already speaking in faith about where he was going. That's powerful, isn't it? And with that same faith, he's asking the Heavenly Father to make it so we could all gather there sometime soon. We've had a great meeting. Haven't we had a great meeting this week? But I'm going to tell you, a meeting like no meeting you've ever been to is the meeting we're all going to have when we get together at the throne. And on that day, Jesus is going to get his prayer answered. Can you imagine the worship that's going to take place when all of Jesus' prayers get answered? Keep reading. Why are we going there? That they may behold my glory. 
which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I love how he runs from eternity past to eternity future, from the foundation of the world to the day we're all getting together at the, at the Father's house. Do you see that? And he, he's, he's the one who spans the two. But don't miss this. What is the thing that brings true oneness? You ready for it? It is his glory. Do you know where every bit of strife and contention comes from? The Bible tells us. Proverbs says, only by pride cometh contention. And what we usually say is, that's right, they're pride. They are so proud. But you know what you're telling on yourself? Your mouth just betrayed you. Peter, your speech betrayed you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I must tell you, it's not everybody else's flesh that gives me fits. It's my flesh. It's this old man I drag around every day. It's the guy I look at in the morning when I get up. I got I to deal with me. A great old preacher from Texas named Lester Roloff used to say, the first thing he did every morning when he got up was jump in the grave. That's pretty good advice right there. You know what I mean by that? You've got to die to self because if you don't die to self, get the credit. Watch, none of us deserve the credit. Jesus deserves all of the glory. Interesting thing about our God, he shares everything but his glory. It's the only thing in the Bible he says he will not share. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad our God shares. Like he shares air, food, water. He, he shares love. He shares salvation. He shares grace and mercy and wisdom. But there's one thing. He says, I will not share my glory with any other. Watch. And when anybody, I don't care who it is, when anybody starts robbing God of his glory, at that moment the oneness is broken and the blessing is gone. May I testify just a moment as a preacher? I, 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 I'm very, I, I'm careful about this. I'm very careful about this for myself because sometimes even when you go into a special meeting to preach, people don't talk about the preacher or they won't talk about the sermons. I, don't, I, I get nervous about that. And I'm going to tell you why I get nervous about that. Number one, I don't want to feel a certain way of pride. But number two, I know that even good-intentioned people sometimes can get their eyes on men. And I want you to know, the minute we get our eyes on men and off the glory of our Christ, the blessing is done, friends. One of the greatest young ministers from England came to the United States to conduct an evangelistic crusade. He'd been mightily used to the Lord. They'd had lots of people saved, lots of great things. And he said he preached the first night and nothing happened. Preached the second night and nothing happened. Preached the third night and nothing happened. Preached for a full week. He said there wasn't a holy grunt in the place. Nobody got saved. Nobody got right with God. Nobody even seemed under conviction. He said it was dead as a hammer. Some big committee had put it on and had all these hundreds of people gathered and done all the promotion and all the work. And now it just it was flat. There was nothing there. And I read the account. The man said he was walking down the street of this major American city walking along just saying to God, what's wrong? Something's missing. I don't know what's wrong. Is it me, Lord? And he said at that moment, he looked up on the wall. They had placarded posters all over that city with, with his name on it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But underneath it, it said, come here, the greatest evangelist in the world. And he said the Holy Ghost said to him, that grieved me. The man who was a spiritual man went over and tore it off the wall. Went and got the committee together, laid the paper down in front of him, said, I will not preach again till every one of these are taken down. They thought it was the strangest request they'd ever heard. He said, I won't preach another sermon. No, I won't preach. I won't go back in the pulpit till every one of these are taken down. This grieved the Holy Spirit and it's holding back the blessing. They sent out people to go all over town. They did a reverse. Instead of putting out things, they took them down. He stood up that night and preached, and the glory of God fell on the place. 
I'm going to tell you something. You get your eyes on men, they will disappoint you, they will disillusion you. But more than that, you grieve God when you get your eyes on men instead of the God-man. True oneness is marked by unity and maturity and glory. And one more, it is marked by charity. Throughout the entire chapter, he's talked about the love of God. The love of the Father for the Son, the love of the Son for us, the love of the Father for us, the love we show to the world. But notice how, notice how it ends, verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. This world doesn't know our God. They don't know our God. They don't know the God of the Bible. But I have known thee, Jesus said, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it that. Here's the last purpose statement of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Do not miss how it ends. I think this is the great emphasis, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I. You chew on that one for a little while. Think how much the Father loved the Son. And Jesus says, Father, I've known that love. I want them to know that love. I love this. Would you like to know how Jesus' prayer ends? It ends on a love note. It ends on a love note. And it's not just any love. Oh, no, it's the matchless love of our God. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, is the greatest thing in the world. It's, it is the one thing that outlasts everything else. It even lives longer than faith and hope because someday faith becomes sight and hope becomes reality. But love's going to live forever because God is love. It's what the Apostle Paul said in another place was the bond of perfectness. It's what holds it all together. It's what Jude says is the thing that really makes a difference in this world. It's the compassion of Christ. It is the love of our great God. And I'm going to tell you what we need. We need a fresh baptism of the love of God. That's what we need. And this world is dying tonight for one of a church that is taken with the love of God. D.L. Moody stood one night before a congregation and said in so many words this, the only way any church can get the blessing, how many think you'd like this church to have the blessing? Would you raise your hand? All right. The only way any church can have the blessing, Moody said, is to lay aside all pettiness and party feeling and live in the spirit of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And Moody said, if any church will live in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 13, that church will bring many to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you why. Because the most beautiful thing on earth is the love of God. The fruit of the Spirit is what's first? And every other good thing, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, every other good thing grows out of the love of our God because love is not just something he does, it's who he is. And I'll tell you what we need. We need a fresh dose of charity in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches if we're going to live in the true oneness that Jesus wants for his followers. I'll leave you tonight with one footnote. I missed it till today. Did you notice how Jesus addresses the Father for the last time in the psalm or in the prayer. Look at it. He's referred to him two or three times as Father, sometimes O Father, that heart word. Earlier, Holy Father. Look at verse 25. O, say it with me. O what? Righteous Father. Don't miss this. Righteous Father. Wait a minute. What is getting ready to happen to Jesus? He's getting ready to be hunted like an animal. He's getting ready to be betrayed by one of his own disciples. 
Judas is going to kiss him on the cheek and say, that's the man. He's going to be arrested. He's going to suffer multiple mistrials through the night. They're going to beat him. They're going to mock him. He's going to turn and look and see Peter when Peter curses and swears that third time says, I don't know the man. And his heart will be broken. He will go to the cross and be crucified. And the last reference he makes to the Father in John 17 basically says this, Father, I know whatever you do will be right. He's the righteous Father. Let me let you in a little secret. Everybody look, hold up, hold up just a second. Look at me. I am not always right. Are you always right? No. In fact, I find I'm wrong a lot. And sometimes people I trusted are wrong. And sometimes people I love are wrong. But there's one person who's always right. And that's our Father. And if you want to know how to have true oneness, I'm going to tell you, bottom line, let's cut, to the, let's cut to the bottom line. You want true oneness? Live this way. I know I'm not always right and others are not always right, but we're just going to agree on this. We believe the Father's always right, and we just want to find out what the Father wants, and whatever he wants, that's what we want. And if the Father gets his way, we'll all be happy because he'll get glory. That is true oneness. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.